Hello, everyone. I am Matt Landis, and you are listening to the Ting Ting Club podcast. In 1903, two bicycle repairmen named Wilbur and Orville took their first heavier-than-air human flight and forever changed the course of history. Air travel is a tool that has propelled the human race forward in a way that very few other innovations have in the past. Since that incredible day, air travel has become increasingly safer, due in part to improvements in technology, but mostly due to the knowledge and competency that has been gained over the past century. It started with trial and error, with lots of failures, many missteps. Uh, those missteps, though, gave us our pioneering aviators and eventually allowed us to send robots to Mars. On April 19, 1943, Albert Hoffman took a bicycle ride after experimenting with 250 micrograms of LSD, which he had synthesized himself five years earlier at Sandoz Laboratories in Switzerland. As most of us know, Dr. Hoffman's experience that day, which we now celebrate as Bicycle Day, was the momentous beginning of the rise of psychedelics in modern society. I personally consider Dr. Hoffman a hero, and Bicycle Day holds a very dear place in my heart. Since that day in 1943, psychedelics have followed the same sort of arc that air travel followed in the first half of the 20th century. Our psychedelic pioneers of the last five decades have contributed to the ever-improving knowledge and competency that we have today. Our guest on this episode is the Harm Reduction Coordinator for the Multidisciplinary Association of Psychedelic Studies, Sarah Gale. Sarah talked with us about the Zendo Project, which brings psychedelic harm reduction to festivals around the world. People like Sarah are the same as our modern aviators and pilots. They use their education and dedicate their knowledge towards making it an important tool safer for everyone else. In other words, they're qualified professionals helping you and I through the experience. I just want to mention before we get started, uh, in addition to checking out the Zendo project, I urge you to go to symposia.com and use the hashtag psychedelicsbecause on your favorite social media uh, to tell your own psychedelic story and join the Psychedelics Because campaign. And if you haven't already, uh, give a listen to our last episode with Ashley Booth, the creator of the Aware Project, which you can find at awareproject.org. Uh, sorry for the long intro, but happy Bicycle Day, everyone. Uh, it's a... there's no words. <laughs> so without further delay, Sarah Gale. Welcome back to the Ting Ting Club. I am Matt Landis. I'm Chris Conson. I'm Tim Kang. And our guest today is arguably one of the most important links in the chain that is bridging the gap between science and public education. Uh, she's a psychotherapist with a master's in transpersonal counseling, psychology from Naropa University, and is currently studying the safety and efficacy of MDMA-assisted psychotherapy in Boulder, Colorado. She's also the harm reduction coordinator for the Multidisciplinary Association of Psychedelic Studies, and is here today to talk to us about the Zendo Project, whose aim is to educate the public about psychedelics while facilitating a safe and caring environment to those in need. Please welcome to the Tink Tink Club, Sarah Gale. Hello. Hello. <laughs> welcome. Uh, you know, I'm sure a lot of our listeners are familiar with you know maps and all the amazing work being done there, but how did you personally begin your journey into the world of psychedelics? 
So I started working with MAPS in 2012, and that's when I started working with the Zendo project. Um, it was the first year that the Zendo was at Burning Man, and MAPS had done psychedelic harm reduction services at Burning Man um, in years prior, and we had also provided uh, harm reduction at other events, including Boom Festival with Cosmicare out in Portugal. And so, you know, MAPS has been around since 1986, and they've been um, yeah, doing research into psychedelic medicines and the use of psychedelic medicines for um, for psychotherapy. And I know that you guys did a podcast with Brad Burge um, yeah. recently, so that's wonderful. And, um, yeah, so they've also been offering harm reduction services. But the Zendo project uh, itself in its current iteration was really birds in 2012. And that's when I joined the team and I came on as a volunteer. And that year, Lene Ponte um, was directing the program. And I, I've been co-coordinating the program with her over the past four years now. And, yeah, so that's how I originally got involved with the Zendo. Um, and so a little bit about me and, and my background and how I came to be doing this work. So um, I never, yeah, I never thought that I was going to be doing this, not in a million years. Um, I really didn't know until I was going to grad school uh, at Naropa University that um, psychedelic therapy was even a thing uh, now. And I had known a little bit about the research that had gone on in the 60s, um, but was pretty naive to what was really going on in, currently. And I had experimented a lot with psychedelics in um, pretty early on in high school, I guess starting at a, at a pretty early age, and um, had quite a number of experiences, uh, many of them very positive, some of them kind of borderline, somewhere I ended up in situations where I was uh, helped by others and... Um, some situations where, yeah, if that if a person hadn't been there to help and, and be a, a grounded presence and a guide, that you know it could have turned out maybe not as good as it did. Um, so definitely had my share of experiences when I was younger, um, and also uh, when I was much younger in my teens, kind of struggled a lot with. Um, depression mainly and my father actually when I was 15 uh, he was he was addicted to heroin and he actually died um, of a heroin overdose when I was pretty young when I was 15 so um, I kind of had you know my experience of drugs was pretty multi-layered and multifaceted sure. um, I definitely you know used them to uh, to escape some things that I was going through and wasn't even really aware of, you know, the use of psychedelics in a more intentional uh, or even ceremonial context and was mostly just, you know, having fun. Um, but during that time, uh, what, I, what I began to, to experience was the healing effects of the medicine and um, LSD in particular and psilocybin and really just started to... Uh, in addition to some other things um, that I was working with meditation and uh, studies into philosophy, Eastern philosophy, um, I really started to um, make a shift out of my depression um, due to, partially due to my use of psychedelics. Even though I was using recreationally, it started turning into an experience. I was like, wow, there's a lot more here. Right. And so um, during college, I began to um, 
find myself in situations where I was a sitter for some friends and um, really got some experience there and uh, decided um, in college that I wanted to study psychology and uh, started studying transpersonal psychology. And so transpersonal psychology really, uh, in a big way, was birthed out of the psychedelic 60s. Um, you know, the, the term transpersonal, I believe, was even coined by Stan Groff. And, you know, it's really sad when you study transpersonal counseling at a lot of universities now, which, I mean, there, first of all, there's many universities that don't even have something called transpersonal counseling. But um, even at universities that do, there's really not a whole lot of attention paid to uh, and credited to psychedelics in terms of what they did to really transform uh, psychology and um, neuroscience in particular, transpersonal psychology. So a lot really shifted in the 60s with um, the psychedelic movement. And um, I was pretty yeah, unimpressed by how that wasn't really recognized at my university and um, went to go see, I uh, went to a transpersonal counseling conference in California and I saw Rick Doblin speak and he was speaking about MDMA uh, and psychotherapy and I thought, oh my goodness, okay, this is happening and there's something here. Um, so that's how I originally found out about MAPS and then many other details, but uh, that's that's how I came to be here. Right. Oh, man. That's so great. And, you know, we at uh, what the Zendo Project is doing specifically, you know, working towards harm reduction and everything is just like it, it, it's so, so and I'm I'm sure you don't feel this way, but it's very noble. Uh, you're doing such a good, positive thing for so many people. And, you know, you have seen the benefits yourself of people just like helping you through experiences. Uh, what? I think a lot of difficult experiences come from people not feeling safe and not feeling, you know, comfortable. Yeah, in their environment. And uh, can you explain how the Zendo Project sort of facilitates peace of mind for people? Yeah, absolutely. Um, thank you for sharing that. So, so in the Zendo Project, we really uh, we train volunteers to provide peer-to-peer -peer counseling and support for individuals who, ha who are having challenging or overwhelming experiences. And so all of our volunteers, um, they come from various backgrounds, and some of them are mental health professionals. Um, some of them are other holistic um, health practitioners. And everyone is coming with their own personal experience, you know, different ages, different experience, um, some, you know, psychonauts who've been doing this work for many, many years, as well as some young, younger generation who are just um, sort of getting turned on to this community. And um, so it's really beautiful, because we really have so many people bringing in so much individual wisdom and that really um is is a huge part of the container that we're creating and also the recognition really is what we what we've found in the zendo is that as humans we really have this innate capacity to hold space for each other and to really be there and support one another and um part of what we've found is that you know education providing education around the effects of psychedelics, what people's experiences can be like, um, really helps to 
lessen the stigma and really helps to create an environment where there's less fear. So one of the big principles that we're working with is that we're trying to decrease fear and de-escalate the situation. So um, really that's, that's kind of the foundation that we're working with is when people come to us, they are often in a state of fear. They're not feeling safe. And so we want to provide a container, a space for them where they can release resistance to whatever might be coming up for them uh, due to taking a substance that is just a natural catalyst for personal growth and healing. So I know a lot of times at at a festival, um, many of us have that intention for, for growth. And it may be more or less intentional depending on someone's experience and as well as, you know, their, their experience with psychedelics. So we get a lot of people in the space who are um, psychedelically naive, so new to medicine. A lot of people take substances for the first time at festivals. And so, um, you know, psychedelics are catalysts for healing and they bring up emotional things and mental things. And uh, if you're not in a safe environment, then that can, or if you're not in an environment where you feel safe, then that can really spiral any any difficulty or any fear can actually just get escalated. And so, you know, for thousands of years, as people have used different substances for sacrament across many different cultures, that was understood. It was part of the experience is this is, you have to create a container for this. And um, in some cultures, you know, it was believed that if you didn't create a container that you would, uh, the, the beings or the entities of the substance of the medicine would uh, <laughs> punish you, so to speak. They wouldn't be very happy, you know. So if you ended up in kind of an unfortunate position, it was because you weren't using these medicines intentionally. <laughs> and so, um, yeah, I think that what we're really trying to do is, is just recognize that this is the culture that we live in and people are going to choose to to engage with these substances and people have been altering their experience for since the beginning of of human history we've been finding ways to alter our perspective you know meditation dance movement sacrament so there's many many different ways that we do that and um and so we are really trying to create the education that can help people understand what can happen so that that education helps people feel capable and able to hold space for someone um, because they are, yeah, they're receiving um, information about um, different substances, about how different substances can affect the body and the mind. And that information, you know, knowledge is power. So if we're ignorant about something, then we are afraid of it. So the dominant way that we see um, the reaction to difficult psychedelic experiences, we see that all over the place. So hospitalization, arrest, um, situations where it just becomes escalated, which is what we're trying to avoid in the Zendo. Yeah. And so that way of approaching is really based out of ignorance and fear. And it's understandable because, you know, the, the 60s really did. It brought up a lot of shadow. It brought us into the un- unconscious realms. And we it was terrifying. <laughs> um, you know, we, the things that we see on these substances can be really scary. And so on a mass level, there was, there's a lot of fear that's still being held. And so that fear not only affects the person's experience because it's held in the collective field, but it also affects how we address it. Because um, if we're addressing it p- from a place of fear, we're going to treat the person very differently than 
if we were addressing it from a place of understanding. Right. Um, so yeah, that's kind of the principle that we're working with there is, is um, knowledge is power. <laughs> and, you know, oh yeah, you know, we, we talk about it here all the time, the idea of changing the language instead of saying bad trip, you say difficult experience. Right. You know, when you say things like bad trip, you're, you're putting negative connotation yeah. to something already. That's what I yes. know about about California progressiveness and and Bolt and Colorado. They allow these things to like the Zendo project to go down. And the East Coast festivals don't do that, and they address these situations with like hostility and aggression and anger. And I think it leads to a lot of pain for a lot of people who get put in this maybe take too much or something they don't understand, and then it's just a snowball of negativity, and. I think that's what's great about what you're doing and what's happening here. It needs to spread to our coast. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I feel like um, California is really leading the way. A lot of our events are in California. And um, there's, a number, there's a few festivals that are really um, pioneering this and, you know, providing these services at their events and recognizing that um, this is a really important service to provide and just as important as providing medical or security services at an event. Can you describe what a session would look like? So someone walks up to the Zendo tent, what? Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> someone goes, I need help, you know. <laughs> I'm sure it's case-to-case basis, but do you have like a memory of one that is substantial to you? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um yeah, so obviously everyone is different. Some people can come in on their own volition. Some people are brought in um, in various states. And uh, we really see, we are able to to see pretty much everyone in the space. So we have um, our, our head supervisors, our leads are all um, mental health professionals, trained mental health professionals. And then, like I said, our volunteers have varying uh, levels of experience. But we always have our, our sort of our leads um, who are pretty trained, who are trained to work with some pretty extreme state experiences. So we really, everything we see in the Zendo can really run the gamut from someone just coming up and saying, you know, I'm having kind of a difficult time and I need to work through something to someone being taken in handcuffed or someone being brought in, um, you know, being restrained. And so uh, we never know what's going to show up. And, um, so we are we really try to train and prepare our volunteers to to work with whatever comes um, into the space, as well as honoring their own skill set and the, their own level of expertise as well. So we we really want our volunteers, none of them to you know get in over their heads. So <laughs> that's we ha- why we have people who are trained to work with those more extreme situations. Um, so the principles uh, we have four principles that we work with in the Zendo and. Um, these are kind of the pillars of the work that we do and and the way that we work really stems from these four pillars and so the first one is creating a safe space so the space is is really um, we try to make it really welcoming and inviting so that when somebody comes in they have a bed to lay down in or a chair to sit down in there's um, light soft lighting you know bright lights can be really disorienting so we have soft lighting we have a number of volunteers who are in the space we have blankets if people are cold we have tea and water so that whatever state the person comes in when they come into this space they recognize it as okay, this is, this is 
something different. <laughs> this is a space that um, some of our guests have, have uh, named it as like, this place was just made especially for me. Like this was just created here for me. Um, one of our guests uh, said it was like being at their psychedelic grandmothers. <laughs> so really just trying to create this warm and welcoming presence. And that, um, pre- that is created by the space itself, as well as the volunteers being a calm and grounded presence. And, and, um, so we welcome them into the space and we really welcome them in with, with whatever state they're in. Some, sometimes people don't want to come into the space if they're experiencing um, paranoia or they just really, you know, sometimes people don't want to go into an enclosed space. That's really like the last thing that they want to do when they're having a difficult time. So we have a space kind of outside into the side of our space usually um, an auxiliary area where those people can, can go and be. Um, yeah. And so, um, and then, so I'll go into the second principle now, um, which is sitting and not guiding. So while the person is in the space, we're really following their experience. So what this means is that, um, we are, we, we train our volunteers to be sitters and, and not guides. And the distinction there for us, and everyone has kind of a different definition of this, um, is that we are just really not inputting too much of our own, um, (laughs) of our own agenda into the situation. So we really want to be a calm meditative presence and promote feelings of trust and security for them and let their own experience be the guide. Um, so not trying to derail or get ahead of the process or distract. So a common, for instance, a common approach to working with people who are having difficult experiences is distraction. Um, a lot of times people try to distract these people. <laughs> and what we're finding is that that distraction just leads to more difficulty and sometimes confusion because there's a process that's been catalyzed and all of a sudden you're trying to interrupt it. And that's to... Um, that's also what uh, medication what medication t- can do. So if you sedate someone, if you bring them to a hospital and sedate them, um, it can interrupt the person's experience. So say um, a trauma is coming up that wants to be healed, and then the person gets sedated, it interrupts the experience. And then what we find some oftentimes in the um, integration process, so maybe weeks or months after somebody was sedated, because we actually see people in the space who had those experiences, and they're coming to integrate a past experience. What we see with those people often is that they are kind of, they're feeling kind of stuck, like they weren't able to complete a process. Um, and so that's kind of what can happen with sedation. So anyway, hopefully I'm not getting too off topic there. (laughs) So sitting, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So we really want to explore rather than stop these things, either through sedation or through distraction or, um, you know, getting them to focus on something else. We really want them to explore whatever distressing issue is coming up um, by just simply being there. And so we really want to honor that there's a lot of um, within psychedelic culture and, and, um, and those of us who choose to partake in, in medicines, it's, there, there is a culture of sitting, you know, many traditional, like say ayahuasca or peyote, uh, many cultures really have a, um, a, a method of 
shamanism where the person is actually the guide. And we don't want to discount those ways of doing things. We really believe that there's a lot there. You know, there's um, a lot of shamans who take the medicine themselves and the person doesn't actually take any medicine. And the shaman does the work for the other person. And so we really want to hear, um, while we talk about the second principle, we don't want to discount that there are other ways of, of doing this. But what we've found in the space and the, the methods that we use are based on uh, information that's been taken from many different sources, including shamanism and including um, psychedelic psychotherapy. Um, so we really are taking everything that, that we use. It's not necessarily brand new information. It's information that we've brought from many different wisdom traditions. And so, um, yeah, we, I just want to say that we really want to honor that there are some traditions where guiding really is part of the process. But in, in our space, we really focus on this. Um, two different goals. You know. These are two yeah. different things, apples and oranges, you know. Yes. Yeah, exactly. We're not doing psychedelic, we're not doing therapy in the space either. That's really important for people to recognize is like, it can sometimes look very similar. And, you know, some of us are therapists. So obviously that's just part of our way of being um, with someone, but we, we don't do what, uh, we don't call what we do therapy. Um, so the, I'll talk about the last two principles. Um, the third is talking through and not down. And so um, that's similar to sitting and not guiding. So not distracting, helping them connect with what they're feeling um, and you know, a lot of times when people talk about, we tell them what we do and they're like, Oh, you talk people down. <laughs> and we try to, you know, no, actually we talk people through, um, we want to encourage them to not resist it. We really use this phrase a lot that what we present, what we resist persists. And so we really want to help people turn toward the experience. We're not talking them down, you know, like they're on a cliff and we, you're in a, essentially the message there when we need to talk someone down is you're in a place where you're not supposed to be and you need to be somewhere else. And we're going to help you go to that place that you need to be instead of actually the process that you're in right now is something that people have been undergoing for thousands or hundreds or decades of years. And it's a natural process and many people have gone through it and you can trust this process and you're going to be okay. Um, and we encourage them to just go with it and not resist. That being said, we also are always um, keeping in mind that any potential medical issues. So while we're telling someone that they're okay and that they're safe, we are really monitoring um, if there is something wrong uh, medically, we really need to know that immediately when the person comes in the space. So we work side by side with medical professionals um, at every single event we go to. We always have someone from medical come into the space and really make sure that the, pers the people that we are with are sound medically so that we can tell them that they're safe and that they're going to be okay and that this is a process. Um, because people don't know what they took, you know, they think they took one thing, it could be something else entirely. Um, people get all kinds of things. And so we really, um, we really make sure that that's being attended to as well. I want to speak that. Mm -hmm. um, and then the last one, the last principle is difficult is not the same as bad. And that's what you were speaking to earlier was just, yeah, it's not, um, you know, challenging experiences in our lives can end up being the most valuable. And I think that the way that we see difficult trips in our culture is representative of how we see emotion in general. Um, we are 
you know, we have roots as a very puritanical in the West, a very puritanical kind of stoic society where, you know, it's, you just got to keep on keeping on and you got to kind of suppress what's going on and, and don't show anybody what you're really feeling. And a lot of us were really raised with that, even with the most well-intentioned parents. Um, We were really raised with this this message that it's not okay to feel what we're feeling. So we're working against a lot of programming. Um, So this idea that like difficult experiences can actually be incredibly positive and um, that whatever is happening is, is happening for a reason. And so we, we suggest to people that they approach their, any fear that might be coming up with them with curiosity and with openness. Um, And so all of these principles are, are sort of the basis, and then the way that we work, it varies from individual to individual. So, um, but this is kind of the, these are the pillars that we use. We're always using deep listening, reflection, um, calm, meditative presence, and incorporating these principles. And then how we work with things really can vary depending on the state that somebody is in. Right. Wow. Mm-hmm. So awesome. I have to ask, has there been an experience where it's been too much, where you needed a third party to come in, let's say a police officer or something, where you needed to restrain something. Has there ever been anything that intense? Yeah. So um, there is. Usually at every event, we end up with a situation where we end up having to potentially escalate that person, um, usually not into law enforcement, fortunately, um, sometimes into medical and, and sometimes security, but usually what those escalations look like, um, m- much more often than not is, um, bringing somebody from another department. So bringing someone from usually security or medical, but if we're talking about, um, right now I'll, I'll just focus on people who are maybe violent, aggressive, um, behaving really erratically because these are the experiences that most people are really interested with. Like, how do we deal with these? Because when we see someone who's in that state, you know, obviously that's going to be a really different way of working with it than just someone who's experiencing some emotional distress. So someone who's experiencing that amount of emotional distress or that amount of discomfort or, or they might be having a great time, but the people around them are not right. Um, that we like to distinguish that it's like, yeah, that person may be having not so much of a difficult time, but their community is. (laughs) So, um, so usually when we end up escalating those situations, we bring somebody in to the, to the space um, or near the space, or if we address the situation out somewhere that's not in the Zendo, which we sometimes do, um, we'll bring a security person with us. And usually at these events, the security is really, really, they are trained to work with people in altered states. So um, we try to also um, perpetuate that culture by, um, inviting security people to our trainings. So at every event, we have a training in the beginning, and it's open to the entire public, the whole festival, medical and security. Um, we've had people who work security who've also worked Zendo. So, um, yeah, there's a lot of overlap. And so those people who we work with are usually really trained on how to um, – occasionally you have to restrain someone, and that's that – happens. Um, if someone is hurting others or they're hurting themselves, um, or they're a danger to others that restraint, we believe, uh, is often the best solution. Um, that being said, there are different ways of restraining someone. You can restrain someone in a violent, aggressive way, and you can restrain someone in a loving, but fierce way. (laughs) So a loving, but gentle, but but creating boundaries. So when we're in um, an expanded state, we don't have often, you know, if the ego is, 
is dissolved and we're having a very transpersonal experience, uh, we don't have an awareness of where our boundaries are. And so in order to, to stay safe physically, the, the people around us, our community needs to, us, um, needs to help us figure out where those boundaries might be. So no, that's not okay that you hit that person. It's not okay that you spit on that person. That is not all right. So um, I think that sometimes the Zendo can have a little bit of a, um, a feel to it to maybe outsiders as like this fluffy place that's all like cuddles and fluff <laughs> and sweetness. And we, we can do that. We can be really cuddly and sweet. And we can also be really fierce and, and lovingly fierce and set boundaries for people and say no and keep people safe. Because if, you, if you're in a situation where someone is potentially um, harmful to themselves or others and you don't do that, that person can end up in a situation much, much worse. And we're really trying to avoid those situations. So, um, yeah, so restraint um, sometimes will just look like a really big bear hug. It'll look like having a security person who's there who might end up sitting on the person who, um, in a gentle way. And it may take a while before that person is calm. But what we find is that the way that we do it is from such a place of de-escalation where we're letting the person know that they're okay, that we see them, that there's nothing wrong with them, and that, you know, this is what we're having to do because there's a potential danger to themselves or others. So we're always communicating, never talking down to the person, never treating them like they're a child. We're always, um, when you're in a psychedelic expanded state, you're really in tune with how people feel about you. So if you're on something, you can really tell if the person who's who's addressing you is um, being demeaning or demoralizing or is afraid of you or thinks that you're crazy. And so that's why we believe that information is really key here because, um, yeah, information and communication, talking to someone. And, and yeah, we find often we have numerous uh, occasions at events where we help to de-escalate a situation and that person comes down a couple hours later and is like oh my God, thank you so much. Like, I did not know what I was doing. <laughs> right, I'm sure. <laughs> because some of these festivals last for a couple of days, do you ever have anyone come back after you've helped them out and want to be a volunteer themselves? Yes. Yes, we do. <laughs> yeah, we have kind of a... a a joke in the space that like everyone's been zendoed, you know, like <laughs> it's kind of like a part of the process. Like our volunteers, those who um, are really good at supporting someone in one of these spaces is, is someone who's gone through a, an experience like this, you know? So we see it as, as an asset. And a lot of the people that, that come to volunteer with us are like, I'm here because I was helped or I'm here because I wasn't helped. And I wish that somebody had been there and I want to, I want to be there for others or I was helped and I want to pay it forward. I want to bring it to the next person. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Yeah. It's like a re-inspiration of like, Oh my God, I see how important this work is and I want to do it. So yeah, definitely. So is there a criteria to be a trainer? You said there was this this big training, but a lot of you have master's degrees and are therapists. Is there other criteria for someone to volunteer for Zendo? Yeah. Um, oh, so you mean criteria to be a volunteer? Correct. Correct. Not a not, not a trainer. Not. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so we have an application process for every single event, and um, 
some, so some events we have much more spaces like Burning Man. We have a lot more spaces, um, you know, LIB and vision, we have less availability. Um, so we usually open that application and we send that out in our email newsletter, which I'll give you a little bit more information about at the end of the podcast. Um, so people receive the applica- the application notice and they can apply for an event. So yeah, what we're really looking for is, um, people who, have an understanding of the principles that we're using and who, um, who are in line with the value and the, the values and the mission of the organization. And that's something that, yeah, with every application, you know, it's, it's different. Um, but where we do look for people who have, um, mental health degrees. We look for people who have um, medical experience as well. Um, that can be really helpful to have. We, we try to have someone in, we always have someone in the space, um, who's medically trained, who's liaison also with the medical team that's next to us. Um, and, yeah, people, we definitely are looking for people who have experience in harm reduction as well, but it's not always essential. So, you know, sometimes if you're applying, um, you know, someone with maybe more experience might get a, a, a position as a volunteer, um, but that we also bring in people who have less experience who really want to learn. And um, we really do, you know, it's kind of on the job training, like we provide the training at the event. But then we really support people as they're learning. And it's been really beautiful to see a lot of the younger generation um, coming in and wanting to do this work. And the beautiful thing is they are mentored by the older generation, people who have been doing this for longer. And it's this really synergistic exchange of, um, of energy and tools and wisdom. And so, um, yeah, we really... Uh, Yep, that's kind of the application process is we're looking for experience, but we also are looking at who the person is and just the sense of um, that they understand what we are up to and the values that we are holding as an organization. Sure. That well, being said, do you ever have a, an irresponsible uh, volunteer, you know, somebody, that, <laughs> somebody that goes and maybe takes a little bit too much and comes back and is like, oh, I can't really, I need your help now. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it's, uh, <laughs> no comment. <laughs> Perfectly acceptable answer. Okay. What, uh, what festivals can you find the Zendo Project at this upcoming festival season? Yeah, so we will be at Lightning in a Bottle, um, and that is May 25th through the 30th. And our application process for that just closed, but we really... Um, we invite people to, you know, if they go to LIB, um, to go and stop by the Zendo. And our space is private, so you can't come into the space if there's people in there. It's confidential. It's a private space. But uh, you can come and hang out, out in front and talk to the volunteers there. There's always volunteers outside the Zendo providing information on what we do. And um, it's a great way to get to know the team and the community and um, introduce yourself. And um, so, yeah, we've been there for, I think this will be our fourth year. So we've been there, partnered with them for quite a while. And 
um, yeah, we partner with the Do Lab there. We really um, have had amazing support from from that event. Um, we're going to Africa Burn, uh, and that is actually before uh, Lightning in a Bottle, and that's um, April 25th through May 1st. And I will be there with a couple other people from our team, and um, that will be, I think, our third... Yeah, third or maybe even fourth. Gosh, (laughs) we've been there for a little while. And what we do at Africa is we really, um, the great thing about Africa Burn is it's a regional burn and it's the world's largest regional burn. There's about 10,000, a little over 10,000 people there. And we work directly with the organization and with the ranger sanctuary there. So we actually help run the, the sanctuary program. And so that's, it's really beautiful. We've really had a wonderful opportunity there because we're very, very integrated into the infrastructure at Africa Burn. Um, and that always makes it so much easier. You know, as we kind of started this and, um, project, we've gotten more and more integrated because at first people, you know, were a little uh, wary, you know, because when um, you're providing harm reduction programs, essentially – uh, you know, with the Rave Act, I don't know if you guys have talked about that on your show at all, but a bit, yeah. with the Rave Act, there's uh, a lot of producers are afraid that they are going to be held accountable if something happens at an event because they were providing services. So a lot of times you hear about like a club that isn't allowed to give out water because they're condoning MDMA use, like ridiculous yeah. stuff like that. So this, we, yeah. We've seen it happen firsthand. We were at a festival last Dance year Safe. and Dance Safe was there and they, testing things for people and they shut it down. They got kicked out. Which yeah. is absurd. I mean, it's so counterintuitive to what you're trying to do. It just blows my mind. Yeah. Yeah. It's so systemic. You know, it, it's, it's part of the bigger issue that we're working with here and which um, MAPS is really working toward in, in terms of, and, you know, deep drug policy alliance and these other organizations that are really working to, to shift policy on, on a big level. Um, because yeah, it's, it's not even a lot of the producers would want these services at their events, but they're, they're scared that they're going to be, you know, um, persecuted in some way. So luckily, um, that has begun to really shift and people, as we've provided these services and as other organizations have provided similar services and as dance safe has been around, um, there's, there is a shift happening for sure. And it's coinciding a lot with the shift that's happening with psychedelic psychotherapy in terms of more and more, um, you know, studies are being done. We're really starting, it's getting out there in the public eye. It's really out there in the media and so there is a sea change happening and harm reduction is, is coming along with it. And so what we've seen is that over the past couple of years, we've become we've been able to become more and more integrated within a festival instead of being like, OK, you guys have your like theme camp over there and you guys do your thing. But we don't really want anything to do with you, but we'll maybe send people to you. And right. So it's. Um, yeah, we're working toward that, and uh, we really want to be involved with, with more festivals, and that's part of um, upcoming in the next couple of years. We really want to to expand to more events. Um, but Africa Burn is a great example of a, an event, and Lightning in a Bottle are great examples of events where we're very integrated. Um, we got back from Envision Festival recently, which is another example of that. Um, then we will be doing Burning Man, uh, August 28th through September 5th. And um, we've been doing that since 2012. And this year, for the second year, we'll have two spaces, uh, each on, one on um, 
the three o'clock side and three o'clock in D and one on the nine o'clock side, nine o'clock in D. And so we will be very near Rangers and near medical. So come out and visit us if you're out there. Um, Still looking for volunteers for Burning Man? Um, yeah. And the application for Burning Man will be going out in May. And um, so, yeah, for, I guess I can, I can speak this now. If you want to sign up to, um, for the email newsletter, go to zendoproject.org and, um, slash volunteer. And it will say, if you want to volunteer, sign up for the email newsletter and put your email in there and you'll have the email newsletter. And then the next time uh, an announcement goes out for an event, you'll receive that in your inbox. So that's how to get the Burning Man application as well as, as everything else. Um, yeah, and we are, it's, Burning Man has been huge. We've been moving forward every single year. And this is the closest we've ever been to medical. And we're really happy to be there. Because uh, it's so nice to be right next to medical, uh, so necessary. And so, yeah, we're still a theme camp and not like an official Burning Man organization. Really? I didn't know you started as a theme camp. That's interesting. Yeah, we we are. We're not like part of. Um, so, you know, we're not like Rangers or medical. It's like part of Burning Man organization. We're our own theme camp. And there's some benefits to that and some not so benefits to that as well. Um, but we really kind of get to, you know, have our own organization and our own structure, which is really nice to kind of have that autonomy. Um, and we work, we've just found that year after year, like we're working better with medical and rangers and the synergy and the relationship is really being built and happening. So um, we're really excited for this year. And, and yeah. So what other, um, what other kind of work is MAPS and Zendo Project doing to get the word out beyond uh, sort of like the festival realm? Because, uh, you know, you can come. You can talk to us here on the show, and people can listen. But a lot of our listeners are people that would already know about the Zendo Project. Uh, how do we get the word out to more people? Yeah, thank you. That's a great question. Um, yeah, so we have been moving forward on wanting to do so. So, what my role at, at the Zendo is, I do training and education development, and so um, we're really working to provide more trainings and more education to the public. And so we really want to provide like law enforcement specific trainings. Uh, we've been contacted by a couple different uh, law enforcement agencies who have said, you know, we really want to learn <laughs> what you guys are doing, which has been huge because um, there's been, you know, I mean, there always has for a long time now, but th these incidents where people are having an experience and they get, uh, approached by law enforcement and things turn out really not good, um, which can happen because the, the, as I was speaking before, the lack of understanding and the stigma, um, people don't know what's going on and it can be really scary. Um, we actually had an, uh, an event happen, um, a situation happen in Boulder where I guess it was about six months ago where someone was on LSD and ended up stabbing someone and the person got, they actually got shot by law enforcement and killed. So, you know, that happens and that happens with people who are in, I like to call it, you know, extreme state experiences. So psychosis, schizophrenia, things like that, that are not even drug induced, those kind of things can happen. You know, if someone is behaving erratically, law enforcement is trained to keep the public safe. Um, so we are wanting to provide education on how to do that without causing harm. Um, and so we're moving forward. We really are hoping to bring in more um, of those trainings into law enforcement, into security, um, into medical. And then the other big piece is that um, 
we really think that what we're doing at these transformational festivals and Burning Man and um, these events is we're creating templates. We're creating templates for larger community. We are experimenting and trying different things than what we're doing in our current society. And with the goal to take those things back into our daily lives and into our communities and implement change. So the idea is that we're not just going out there and it's this party and everybody comes back and it's business as usual. Ideally, we are creating societal shifts and transformation via these festivals. Um, So one of the things that we see happening is that, um, and one of the things that we're working on in Boulder right now is, is creating uh, de- default world, <laughs> it's a Burning Man term, right? Default world zendos. So um, places, sanctuaries where people can come who are having difficult experiences where they're going to be not treated with um, necessarily f- medication first off, um, that being an option, you know, so we would actually have psychiatrists on staff, we'd actually have mental health professionals, but that the first line would be um, compassionate care and addressing extreme state situations in in a different way than is currently addressed. And so that's kind of, that's a lot of what we see for the future is that this way of, of dealing with these situations becomes commonplace where instead of taking someone directly to, uh, to jail or directly to the hospital, there are centers that are set up specifically for people who, who are in these states and um, ideally in the future for people who are also in extreme states that are, that are not drug-induced as well as I spoke to before. Look at our, our, the East Coast has, no, <laughs> has nothing like this, but I'm curious, you know, there's tons of festivals on our side of the country as well. Yeah. What can people do as individual groups that go to these festivals that can mimic the Zendo project? Yeah. Yeah. So we provide, um, we actually provide trainings, individual trainings for groups. So one thing that we can offer is that if you have a group of of people that are interested, um, you can get together and do a training with us. It's a couple hours long. We do trainings via Skype and we are also open to coming out in person. Um, and we'll actually be going, I'm going to be going out to New York in September. Um, I think, yeah, September, and doing a training, uh, a couple trainings out there. And so when you do a Zendo training, you can learn these principles and learn how we've done it and then kind of go off and, and, and explore and do your thing. Um, we don't have branches. So like if you do a training through Zendo, you, you don't go out and create a Zendo, like right. Zendo itself, but you can go and create your own thing. Um, and then if you're also interested, if you're aware of an event that needs support, you can also contact us directly and we can work with the festival producers to bring Zendo out to the event. And then you can, um, so you can get your community together to come and, and be part of Zendo in that way as well. So um, we're always looking for leads on other festivals. So, you know, producers and, and people who um, are able to, to bring us to events um, so that's also an option. Wow, that's a kind of stuff. I mean, we're going to need some more information about when you come out here because, uh, I mean, I would certainly be interested in. Yeah, it seems like. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Let's do it. Yeah, the trainings are so much fun. They're, um, yeah, we we have a really good time. <laughs> so there's a lot. Kind of a different question for you, as somebody that you know is in the academic world. Does the Zendo project or anything uh, uh, 
that any work you do at festivals help with like sort of gathering data? Things, um, things like, uh, you know, maybe there are more instances of males coming into the Zendo. Right. Yeah, we have we have basic information, but we don't we're not doing it for research purposes and we don't share it. It's more so for our own records to know, um, just have a pulse on what's going on. So, you know, we do we do know um, our numbers, how many people came in and um, things like that. But, yeah, we've made it explicit to not do any research because we really feel that it helps create a safe container if people feel like, you know, this is. A confidential environment where I'm not necessarily being. Again, uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Oh man! So what? What else, What about the the future of transpersonal psychology? <laughs> yeah, um, we'll see. Yet to be seen. I feel like. Um, there are a number of programs that are coming up. I know um, uh, CIIS and. Um, uh, in New York as well. I'm forgetting the name. It's, it's, I'm spacing it right now. Um, there's a few, there's a few universities that are, um, having, starting to have programs in psychedelics and, um, and actually, you know, training people to do psychedelic therapy and things like that because, um, there's a shift happening. And so even though it's legal, a lot of people are realizing like it's actually possible to train people and that's okay. And that is actually legal. (laughs) And so, um, a lot of, of, Places, a few places, I won't say a lot, a few places are starting to recognize that some, some more um, alternative universities, you know, similar to Naropa, we're not quite there at Naropa yet, but um, there's, there's other universities that are starting to, to help to um, make that shift, to make that change. And uh, so there's certificate programs that are coming out and um, we will uh, try to also post those on our website um, as they come about. We'll try to provide that information for people so that they can locate. Because, yeah, a question that we get a lot at MAPS and we get a lot at uh, the Zendo is, how do I get involved with this? How do I get involved with this work? And up until recently, there hasn't really been many opportunities for people to get involved. And now it's it's starting to shift and and people are, are forming community. And that's one thing I really, yeah, I appreciate that about your podcast here. It's like, another opportunity to create community around this it's super important yes, um yeah it's all about awareness and education you know it's the key uh, it's the same thing when you're having a difficult experience instead of you know burying it down deep like we've done for the past three decades we need to you know work with it and bring it to light and i think that's really happening we'll talk about it. you know especially in the past 10 years sure can you speak on the phase two MDMA trials that are going on now? Yeah, so phase two um, in Boulder just completed, awesome. and we're compiling our data right now. Um, and we saw, I, I believe, um, you know, less than thirty, about twenty nine um, participants. And yeah, it was a, a really beautiful thing to be a part of as as a therapist in the study. And um, yeah. It's uh, so yeah. We're looking forward to phase three, and that will um, hopefully be starting next year. Um, but we really feel like yeah, the information and the data that we gathered from from phase two is um, going to to provide a lot more uh, substance, <laughs> and we're going to be able to to start bringing this data more and more to 
FDA. And it's starting to be, to come to the point where people really can't deny that this is, I mean, they can, but this is, there's so much media and so much press coming out, out about it. And so many people who are, who have PTSD, who are getting really frustrated. And, you know, there's this available treatment that is not available. There is this effective treatment that is not being utilized and people are suffering because of that. And so uh, it's, it's absolutely infuriating. Yeah. In the age of information, ignorance is a choice, right? Yeah, yeah. absolutely. So, so the results for phase two are not out yet? Is what no, they're not out yet. Yep. I believe they'll be coming out soon. For the people yeah. who don't know, what are the levels of, the, what are the phases? So phase two is at 29 people. What does phase three entail? Yeah, so phase three is a multi-site study. Um, and we don't, um, I don't have the information right now on how many sites exactly we're going to have but more than this. And so many more um, participants, essentially, um, that we would be running through. And so, yeah, we run, you know, as as some people might know, we run our our trials just like any psychopharmaceutical company does. We run our drug trials the same way. So really, um, phase three is really, after phase two, um, you know, when you really have enough data uh, and that's supporting the research and it's proven to be this, this study was a lot about the safety and efficacy. You know, we were really focused on safety and efficacy. And so we were looking at adverse effects, um, of the substance. And so, um, we've, once the FDA sees, okay, there's, there's limited adverse effects, adverse events, then we can, you know, we move forward into phase three and that's just providing more trials some more information because there's a, a certain number of, of trials that you have to do before something can be actually uh, prescribed as a, as a legal medicine. So how, how do you, what's your advice on talking to people that are, are not part of this world or that are in the default world about this? About this? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think a lot of it is your lexicon and the way that you um, shift your language, like having come from a transpersonal therapy world and engaging a lot with, um, and I run a private practice as well. And so engaging with psychiatrists and and people who may not be transpersonally oriented, you know, some of the things that I talk about uh, in Zendo or some of the things that I might talk about in different contexts are sound really, really out there. You know, when I talk about psychedelics as entities and as beings and having intelligence and uh, sentience, it's like, whoa. Okay, people just, you know, so you have to, you have to really um, change your lexicon and it's not about hiding or, or not being transparent, but it's about recognizing meeting people where they're at, as well as not vilifying or condescending people if they are having, you know, have a different experience. It's kind of recognizing that everyone is where they are and um, honoring that while also, speaking your truth in a way that is going to be received. Um, and that's, in, in a lot of ways, that's kind of a therapeutic technique, right? Because if, if somebody comes in to my office and I'm not, and something's coming up for them and I am trying to explain something to them, I have to change my language depending on where they're at developmentally. And um, so we really have to, I think, change our language around things sometimes as well as really, which MAPS has done beautifully, Stick to the facts too. Look at the research. You know, Maps is saying, look at the research, look at the results, um, and it speaks for itself. And you know, it is at times frustrating because we live in this very scientific, rational culture, and so you, we ha- have to be able to speak that language. You have to 
you know, you have to know the rules before you can break them, right? Um, if you're an artist, you have to know the technique before you can kind of break outside the box and do your own thing. So it's very similar. It's like we, we really need to, um, to bridge these worlds. And that's part of the, the, the thing with psychedelics that has been, you know, tricky at times is bridging these, um, very transpersonal, unnameable, numinous states with science and, uh, logic. And, um, I mean, a part of why, part of why, um, in the sixties, the backlash was, uh, partially a result of our very rational mind, our very logical mind being faced with these very irrational things and not knowing what to do with it and so suppressing it. So I think that that would be part of it is when you're talking with people who are of, of that world and who that's their, their world and their lexicon, uh, using, that, using that framework to present um, ideas and, and communicating in that way. Yeah. That's so great. You know, we, we admire so much what you do. Like, like sure. I said in the very beginning, you're, you're, you're the person, you're the person that's bridging the gap between the science and the, you know, everyone, everything yeah, else. Really. Exciting, <laughs> really. You know, yeah. if it weren't for people like you, we wouldn't have those, that information to be able to talk to everyone else. Right. We wouldn't be doing things like this. Yeah. So thank you so much. Yeah. yeah. Do you have like a way people can contact you, website links, uh, anything? Yeah, so our, our team um, can be reached at, um, at zendo at maps.org. That's our email. And then our website is zendoproject.org. And um, on that website, we have um, volunteer information. We have information about our events uh, and then educa- uh, education and training and, and those pieces as well. Um, so, yeah, the best thing to do is probably for people to go to that website, learn as much as they can. We have a whole resources page um, if there's any specific questions to reach out to us, but definitely to sign up for the for the email newsletter as well. And, um, yeah. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you so much for taking the time out of your day. Yeah, it was wonderful to talk to you. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. really appreciate the opportunity. Thanks again for listening to the Tink Tink Club, everybody. Thank you. <laughs> uh, go to tinktinkclub.com for more information for links uh, past can, episodes f- yeah past episodes obviously give us some comments feedback um, follow us like on Instagram on Twitter like us on Facebook I post on Instagram every day yeah go follow us on Instagram some insightful shit <laughs> it's a good <laughs> it's a good uh, it's a good daily reminder to um it's a good daily affirmation. True. Uh, to follow. And we're not just saying that because it's our podcast. But anyway, uh, go Chris to maps.org, M-A-P-S.org. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can find more information about the Zendo Project that way. Zendoproject.org. Also check out Psychedelics Because. Oh, yeah. Hashtag Psychedelics Because. Or psychedelicsbecause.org. They're doing this awesome new initiative to erase the, the stigma of psychedelics. So they're accepting stories and examples of how psychedelics have benefited your life. Mm-hmm. Also, you'll be able to find links to that on our website too. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, both of those things, please, if you have time, check them out. You, you'll thank yourself. You'll thank us. Um, you just listened to the podcast. You heard all that information that Sarah gave us. Uh, and again, thank you to Sarah. She's a wonderful person. Yeah, she's really doing uh, a great thing. We appreciate everything 
that she does, and we appreciate her coming on the show. But, Go check uh, out one of her classes. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, for the Tink Tink Club, I am Matt Landis. I'm Chris Conti. I'm Tim King, and we will tink you next time. Love each other. And later. Oh,